Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen, rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of your mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though Christ were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we've had a great time. It's good to be back with you this evening. Work is interesting. is the third time that I've, I've heard you share you got pretty loose there with your politically incorrect statements, didn't you? <laughs> and, and it's interesting as you come out, as we've been here for three Sundays, uh, three services today, um, it's so fun. It's all different, isn't it? Every service is different. You have, in your church, you have this beautiful thing of your, your traditional service and, and so many that are uh, maybe a little older in life, but, but a different flavor, and as they serving and they're reading the scriptures, and then your second service and all the families are represented. And so it's fun. All three services are so much fun. And um, I will try not to be politically incorrect <laughs> so on there and get myself in trouble, but um, I can't promise you on that. So the um, Okay, well, we're looking at missions. This is the last day. As you're looking at this, and again, we are on missions week. But this is just the beginning of the year for missions, isn't it? It goes all year long, and then next year you'll have your conference and you'll look out the new different the different opportunities, and you'll and you'll do this amazing thing. The accountability is you'll look back over this last year and you'll see how faithful were we. And my prayer is going to be for you as we'll keep up with you this year is to hear about all the wonderful things going on that God invited you as a church to be part of this year missions. And so you're at an exciting point in the life of your church. Every year, you keep going year after year, but again, you have new opportunities, and there's some familiar ministries you'll be joining in with, and there'll be new things with new people. But this is a fun time. And I want to make sure that I know you come here every Sunday, and sometimes we can take that for granted. I'll just tell you that your church is unique. When you look across churches, and we work across all denominations, and we're all over the place, to have a church that joins together and a leadership, and then not just your leadership, but your leadership supported by a whole church to do an entire week focused on on this on international missions is huge. And so, as I've been praying for you this week, I pray that none of you take that for granted, that you recognize the gift that you have, that you get to be a part of church that loves missions. 
And that you get to have an opportunity, not only as a partner, you can go with your, the opportunities, you can pray, you can do short-term missions, you, can, you have the joy and the opportunity to support financially the different ministries. But you get to be a part. And, and I can promise you that there's many people in a lot of churches around the world that would give anything to be a part of a church that was mission-minded like yours. So, so please don't just take this as a missions conference you are part of an amazing journey, and this year is going to be a blast. And it will be wonderful to hear the report back about how God used you to impact people all over the world that desperately need Him. What a joy. I think that's what I'll take back to you, one of the things I'll take back. And we're in the process of just moving, and we're going to have to start looking for a new church, where we've, where the area we've moved. And... Um, We've got a pretty high bar now after being here this week. And we pray that we can be a part of a church that is mission-minded as you are. And if not, if God adds us to one that doesn't care about missions, then we'll be actively helping that church and sharing about the joy of missions as well. So as we've been sharing with you this, this week, we've, we've shared with you some of the difficulties we've had. And it's been an interesting year. As I shared last time, uh, I've been had some transition. Dana's had transition. Our kids, well, our whole family's in transition. This last year, I've been commuting all during the week and teaching at a new university. And so I go on sa- Sunday, we have church, then I get in the car, I drive across, uh, in, we're in Texas, so the state of Texas, not all the way across, but I drive three and a half hours. I go to the school, I teach all week long from starting Monday morning, I go to Friday, and then Friday, as soon as my last class was over, I'd run, jump in my car, and try to load it, and I'd drive home and get to be home. Well, one of the things that when I was moving, I had to quit my hockey team. I missed that. I was playing three days a week with these young kids and all the stuff. And I was doing all this. So I determined this year, as I was going to be going away, that I was going to stay in shape. It's not an optic collusion. I did not stay in shape. <laughs> okay? There's no mirrors, <laughs> weird mirrors. We just, okay, let's just deal with it. I didn't stay in shape, obviously. But I had the best intentions. So before I left, I went to the best place. I spent all the, to the, to sharpen skates. So I play ice hockey. So I, I went, and I, and I, and they were pretty fresh anyways, but I had new sharpening on my skates. I picked up some really nice new stick, composite stick. I the, the, the kids always made fun of me because I was there with old 80s wood sticks. And, and so I finally I got these composite sticks. I've changed all of my equipment out. Is it's been falling apart <laughs> on the ice. And I got all this new equipment. Then I, I, I like to have a pedal bike. And so I left my motorcycle back at home, and I brought my pedal bike. And I loved to bike, and I was riding 9 miles, 10 miles a day every morning the year ago, not this last year, obviously. <laughs> and, so, and then I, I love to play racquetball. I used to play tournament, turn, tournament racquetball, and our university has these four or six beautiful racquetball courts. So I brought my racquetball, and I've actually got a new racket, too. I, on there, I was ready. And so I brought all this with me, and I, have a, I drive a Toyota Camry. So I shoved that big hockey gear in there. I open it up, I push my seats down, and I cram. I had to take my bike apart to fit it into that trunk. And I, I get there, and I haul my stuff all the way up to the second floor of the apartment I'm in. And I will, I'll be honest with you. I didn't get on the ice once this last year. I rode my bike twice. I almost got hit by people with big trucks with mirrors on there. And I played racquetball twice. I was so sore. 
thought I was going to die. In fact, I was playing with these kids, some of my students, and I really beat them bad, but I told them, I said, I have to do a kill shot every time because I'm too fat to chase the ball. And so I said, I'm going to have to beat you. So, but, I, but I had the best intentions. And the silly thing was, is that I, there's a little apartment. I walked by my bike and my hockey equipment and those rackets by the door every day and, and left them there. I had the best of intentions. I had all these intentions to do all this exercise, to get out there and do these things, and I brought everything with me, and I got everything ready, and I set it by the door, and then guess what I did? I just kept walking by it. And I'd come back after work, and I'd, I'd look at that stuff and think, that recliner looks really good. <laughs> and, and I would just sit there. So this year my wife is with me, so I'll, I'll have better, better motivation. And so, uh, but, but again, I, I share that illustration because Sometimes the Christian life can be like that, can't it? Sometimes when we're looking at missions, especially missions and evangelism, we can have all the best intentions, can't we? We know we need to share. You're in an evangelistic church. You know you need to share. We have opportunities for mission. We know we need to be on mission. We know as you're at your schools, in your neighborhood, we know we meet people, we have neighbors, we have family that don't know the gospel. We know we're supposed to share with them, don't we? And we may even have good intentions to share but what happens, often happens? We set out with good intentions, but we don't have the follow-through, do we? Or like me playing racquetball, I, I went out there and I, and I played, and, and I had parts of my body I didn't know I had that hurt. And, and, we, and we fall to the wayside pretty quickly. And so it's interesting, as we look at the Christian life, I don't know about you, but I, I read about this guy named... Paul. We read about Paul in our New Testament. And I look at his missionary journeys. He does, we know he does the three recorded in Acts when there's a fourth journey that he does. And you look at the stamina and everything he goes through and his, and his follow through on his missions. And I just wonder, how in the world did he do it? How did he have this stick to itness? Because so often we start down the road of missions, or we start down in, in ministry or sharing the gospel. We start we're gonna, with all the best intentions, and we kind of fall to the wayside. Remember, you're looking at this next year, not just this week, but this whole year, and sometimes we fall by the wayside. How is it that this man does these amazing missions? Have you followed and read through his missions in the book of Acts? And sometimes he faces horrible trials, doesn't he? He's shipwrecked at one point. You see him bit by a, a serpent at one point. You see him dragged out of cities. You see him opposition. You see, him dis- you see people trying to discourage him at every spot. And I, and I thought, not just even the negative things, but what kind of travel did he do at that time? Did he hop in his beautiful car and just run down the Roman road looking for speed traps? What did he do? He walked. And just the energy, and I thought about even my son who's not here today, he flew in this morning, but he's sleeping with the jet lag. And I thought about the drive, last, last Sunday, as I'm sharing with you, I was trying to recover from that 17-hour flight and the jet lag. But I was in a really comfortable plane when I flew over. I had people coming down the aisle giving me drinks and you know, food, and I had my headphones on, and I had my noise canceling on there, and I had some good classic rock playing, and, and I'm sitting there, and I'm resting, and, and I came out worn out. What did Paul have? He was cold. He was chased out of places. He was worn out. And do you catch him discouraged when you read about the missionary journeys of Paul? 
I, I personally find it a challenge to me, and sometimes I'm embarrassed about my, my own Christian walk, when I see the stamina and the stick-to-itness that Paul had, and then I look at my own life. Because sometimes my own life kind of looks like my last year's exercise program when it looks at missions and, and evangelism. And I, want to, I go out there and I start down. I keep coming back to it and we keep coming and we keep pressing on. But I look at Paul and I think, what was it about him? You ever wondered how he had that stay to itness that he went there as a new word for us? He stuck to it. You ever wonder about Paul's life and how did he do that? Where did he get the energy for it? I see some of our mission partners here and all the work that you have. And as you're translating, you look at the work and imagine you can be bleary-eyed and all the work you're doing and you're traveling different places and different roads and you wonder how you're going to get there and is there even going to be a road and when you get there, will there be someone? Will you have some food there? All the stuff and you come home and you're just weary, aren't you? How does it that Paul is able to do this year in and year out? In fact, we have these the prison letters of Paul. He's in prison and he's still writing to the churches encouraging them. Have you read Philippians lately? He's in prison and he's encouraging these people. He writes a whole book on joy while he's imprisoned. How is it that he does that? Is it a mystery? Well, it's not, it's not a mystery at all because Paul tells us how he does it. He explains how he's able to go and hold on this mission and go on mission with God with such, such energy and, and just, a, a, just a stable walking through and everything he faced. He just continues on in a faithful way to the end of his days. He makes this amazing statement, and we'll look at it tonight. But he makes this statement that sums up everything about his ministry. He says, for it is the love of God that compels me. It was the love of God that was the driving force in Paul's life for mission. Now, we could look at Paul's personality, and we say, you know, maybe he's stubborn or he was just determined. He had different things in his personality where he, obviously the man was determined to do things, but that's not how he describes it. He describes in a one simple sentence, when you look at all of his ministry and all he's doing, when he's sharing the gospel, in fact, he's writing to a church that's been difficult all the way time in, in Corinthians. The, the, the church at Corinth has been a difficult church for him, and he writes to him, he says, it's the love of God that compels me. It's God's love that drives me to do everything I'm doing. That's the motivating factor. That's what keeps me going. So I'm going to come back and reread the passages. You read it in such a wonderful way, and I want to come back and just kind of slowly look at this passage. But as I read this passage, I want you to look at a couple things. I'll come back and reread it and be listening for two different things. There's many things in this passage. But one, listen for what Paul says about how the love of God impacted him personally. And second, I want you to look and listen to how the love of God impacted the way Paul looked at other people. And as we do that, then we're going to come back and look at us. How is that love of God impacting our lives in, in a real, in a personal, and practical way? So let me, let me read this to you one more time and listen for these things. He says, Knowing therefore the fear of the Lord, we persuade men... But we are well known to God and also trust are well known to your conscience. Now what he's saying there is people complaining about Paul. And he says, you know what, we're well known to God. He says, everything we've done, we've been open to God. We haven't hid anything. God knows us and we've done everything open to God and we're well known to him. He says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are sound-minded, it is for you. In verse 14 he says, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge this that if one died for all 
Then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we, are, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed us committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What an amazing passage. You know we could spend a long time on that passage. We won't. But we could. I'm going to touch on a couple things. First, I want to talk to you about the love of God. This is important. I imagine you've, how many of you have grown up hearing about the love of God? We hear about the love of God, and, and, and there's a sad thing that can happen at times among Christians, is that we can hear about the love of God so much that it can become commonplace or it can become a cliché. We know it's important, we hear about it, but we need to be careful. There's a danger that we hear about the love of God and we take it as a common thing. Well, God loves you. And you think, well, okay, I know God loves me. We know, most of us, I imagine here, would, would agree, we know God loves us. And we've probably told other people that God loves them. But often in the Christian community, this whole thing about the love of God or God loving people becomes something that's just kind of common. It's just kind of, kind of so, oh, well, that's, we know God loves us. John 3.16 it's an amazing verse. It's an amazing verse, John 3.16. But how often do we people just kind of, oh, John 3.16, and we can recite it without even thinking about it. And it's talking about the love of God. And so we need to be careful when we look at the love of God that we don't ever take the love of God for granted. And I want to share with you a couple of scriptures just to remind us of the love of God. And they'll be very familiar to you. But again, Amazing passages about the love of God. So John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Romans 8.37-39, it says, Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor heights nor depths nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. You realize tonight we could spend the rest of the evening starting in Genesis and going through Revelation reading Scripture after Scripture about God's love for His people. The one that has impacted me probably the most in recent days has been from the Apostle John. And we don't know all the history behind it, but John, the Apostle John has been, put, he's been exiled out to the island of Patmos. 
And he's writing to these churches that are in Asia Minor that have all these struggles and there's, there's all kinds of false teachings going in the church. There's division. There's fighting going in the church. And he's writing to them and he makes this statement. He says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. How many of you remember that verse? How many of you sang that verse? When I was a kid, we would go to church camp and we would sing around about, Behold what manner of the love of the Father has been... I won't sing it. It'll ruin it for you. But, but, but behold what manner the, of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Well, that word behold is an interesting word. We use the word behold. I don't know if it's not one that I use in my, my vocabulary much. But it's a word that means wonderment, amazement. And you realize... Everything that John had seen, remember when, when Jesus called him into ministry, when he's there fishing with his, with his brother, and you look at the beginning of the ministry in the Gospels, and you watch, John got to walk with Jesus all the way through his earthly ministry, didn't he? And then he got to be part of the early church and all that God was doing in the early church. So sometime later in his ministry, as he's on the island of Patmos in exile, he starts writing to these group of people, and he's still describing the love of God, and he's amazed about it. He's in awe and wonderment about the love of God. And the challenge for my life is, how do I treat the love of God? Am I still amazed at the love of God? Does it still grip me and impact me? I share that God loves people, but am I still overwhelmed with the fact that God loved me? And He sent His Son to die on the cross. For all of us, but for each one of us to have a relationship. He loves us. When John is writing, he's overwhelmed. When Paul is describing his ministry, he comes back to the love of God. Are you experiencing the love of God in a real, in personal, in practical way that is blowing your mind today that you still can't get over? Think about some of you who became a Christian at an early age. I became a Christian after college. But I remember when some if you've been around someone who's recently become a Christian, what do they like to do? As soon as they've become into this relationship with Christ, what do they do? They share it with everybody, don't they? Don't they? If you think back to those early days and, and you look at that and you see someone, everything they talk about, they want to go out and they want to go on mission, they want to find out what's going on and tell me about this and they're reading their Bible and they're reading Christian books, they're doing all this. Why are they doing that? They're overwhelmed with the love of God. Now, why is it that the longer we become Christians, the more kind of passive do we come about this love of God? The more commonplace does this become? Because that's not an example of Paul or of John. They're overwhelmed and they're amazed with God's love, even at the end. So look at the love of God. I just thought a couple things that we see in the love of God. It says we experience Him in a personal and practical way, but the love of God brings peace in our lives. The love of God brings a deep abiding uh, joy in our lives. The love of God brings a sense of family and belonging into our lives. It brings a sense of hope. Romans 5, 5, you look at this, hope in Christ. It will never bring you to disappointment because what? The love of God is poured out in your heart through the Holy Spirit. It brings a sense of purpose to our lives. It brings us to love Him in return. Remember, later on, John will write this. He says, we loved Him because what? Because He first loved us. It was the love of God that initiated this whole thing. And you look at Paul and he's saying, why do I do the things I do? Because of the love of God. 
for Paul that caused him to be on mission. The love of God was a compelling force in his life and will be in our life as well for everything we do. And that word that he says, compel, it's an interesting word because there's a couple things about that word. We won't go into the Greek language on this too much, but, but it's a verb that means, it's a present tense verb that means it's a continual action. So it's not the love of God once. It's not that you, God loved you at that one point and he came into a relationship. Guess what? When God loved you, he's continuing to do it. And he loves you 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 and he loves you. And he, you, and he continues to express that love in your life. It's a continuing action. It never stops. It's an overwhelming thing. When you look at how does Paul continue in mission out of this love of God? Because he just keeps loving them. The same way he keeps loving us. How many of us have failed and we struggled and we wrestled through things and yet what happens? God comes to us and he does what? He loves us again, doesn't he? And he restores us in a relationship and he sends us out. And that also that word, it means to constrict and to press in together and then push out. So it's not only is it something that's ongoing all the way through on this love of God, but then it's something that grabs a hold of you and presses you out. He says, the love of God compels me. The ongoing, ever-present, continuing love of God fashions around him like walls and then just pushes him out on mission. He says it's not out of his own sense of duty. It's not out of a sense of pride. It's not a sense of him getting the job done. It's not out of doing the right thing. All those things are important in in many ways. But what it is, is he's getting pressed in and shot out into the world on mission because of the love of God. And it's it's a unique word. And it's exciting. I thought, what does it look like? So I wonder, what does that look like? So for me, when I wonder what something looks like, I look back into the Scripture. So I want to give you a couple examples. What is this? What are some other examples of people who've been pressed together and and pushed out in there because of the love of God? So then, about Luke chapter five, verses thirteen through sixteen, and Jesus heals this leper. But when he heals him, it's interesting because different times Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, he says he does something. He says, "But don't tell anybody who who did this." He tells him, "Don't tell anybody that I healed you." And there's reasons for it as he's heading towards the cross. But he tells this man, he, gives, he heals him. He experiences the love of God coming in and healing him. He says, don't tell anybody. What does the leper do? Tells everybody. So think about the, I thought about also John chapter 4 and the Samaritan woman at the well. Do you remember? She, she didn't have the best reputation, did she? She had kind of a colorful lifestyle. In fact, she's there getting water at the well when Jesus comes up and talks to her, breaks every social custom uh, known to that time, engages her, loves her. But she, we know from the time she comes at the well, it's probably a time that she's a social outcast in her village. and She's coming to the well at a time no other women would have been coming to get water. Probably because she's an outcast with her lifestyle and different things going on. Jesus loves her, and what does she do? She runs back to her village and says, you all have to come and meet this man that I've met. And she invites her whole village to come. She didn't worry about how they were treating her, how she was viewed, or her reputation. She encountered the love of God, and she immediately goes back to her village to share, you've got to come and see. I thought of the demoniac. So it's Luke chapter 8, and he's up in, the, in chains. He's broken the chains, but he's off in the tombs. And, and people are, are wanting to stay away from him, and they don't know how to deal with him. And Jesus comes in and heals him and sets him free. He loves him. 
And this man who's been up in the tombs cutting himself and moaning and groaning and, and scaring the whole community around him and they've put him and they've shunned him off here. When he encounters the love of God and he's in his right mind, what does he do? He says, Jesus, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no, you need to stay here and go tell your people about this, this good news. There isn't a way in the world you could have kept them quiet when they met and encountered the love of God. And we can look over and over. I thought, what about Zacchaeus? He's up in a tree, isn't he? He meets Jesus says, I'm going to come at your house today. When he meets the love of God, what does he do? He goes back and writes all the wrongs of all the people he's stolen from and all that he did. You can just go over and over and over and over and over again. When you encounter the love of God, it radically impacts your life. So much so that Paul says that's the driving force. It's not a mystery. It's not his personality. It's not his abilities. It's not his gifts. It's not that he just wants to go and do this. He has encountered the love of God. Well, he goes on to describe it. And I just want to touch on a couple of verses in this passage. And, and I'll challenge you to go back and slowly read through it because we can just kind of skim over it quickly in our, in our time today. But the love of God had a radical impact on Paul, and he's going to describe that this same impact ought to be happening in every single follower of Jesus Christ. So in verse, first, verse 15, he says, He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. What is he saying there? He says, when you encounter that love of God, he died on the cross. It was an expression of his love. But when you have life in him, he says, you no longer live your life for yourself. He says he lived for him. It changes your whole perspective. Now that may mean that you go around the world of missions. It may be that you're just where you're going back to work on Monday, that you go there with a totally different perspective. It may be at the schoolhouse where you're going or the people you're relating to at the, at the university. But you go in there with a totally different perspective. You no longer live for yourself. When you encounter this love of God, from that point on, you live your life for Him. You're on mission. Verse 16, it says, Therefore, now that now it says, from now on, after he's encountered this love of God, the love of God that's compelling him, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Kind of a difficult translation. But he says, we regard no one according to the flesh, no one how the world looks. So we like to look at people like the world looks at them. Now we encounter the love of God. How does the world look at people? What do they look for? Money at times. What can I get from this person? Why do I relate to this person for what I can gain, right? Often when the world looks at it that way, looks at our appearances. Have you ever been judged by out of the world? And, and we can do that as Christians, can't we? We can look at people from the eyes of the way the world looks at people. Paul says, we used to look at Jesus according to the flesh. We just looked at them as this man, this religious leader, and he's persecuting the church. We said, when he encounters him and the love of God in Damascus Road, and he's transformed, he says, not only do I not look at Jesus the same way, I don't look at anybody the same way. I don't look at anybody according to the flesh or the way the world looks. How does he look? He looks at them according to the love of God. I was sharing in the other services that I was, out, I was preparing and reading through my script, the scriptures on Friday, and there was two men that were very drunk and very foul, and one was very angry. And they were complaining, and they were complaining, and one of them, he said, I heard him say this, he said, those blanking, blanking, we won't get politically correct or awfully, <laughs> I'll paraphrase, but he used all these curse words, all this horrible language, he said, those people, that fig tree Anglican church, I was out so-and-so, and someone was sharing the gospel with me, and he was mad about it. 
And I thought, isn't that great they're sharing the gospel? I thought, so, is, we've heard so many wonderful things about you. I thought, that was just a greater testimony. You guys are out sharing the gospel. Now, how should I look at him? He said the most awful, foul things about my Lord Jesus Christ when he was sitting out there. And he was angry. He said horrible things about my Lord. And you know what? He said horrible things about you. And you know what? He was wrong. You guys are great. I love you. I could stay here. He was wrong all the way through. Not only did he talk bad about my Lord, but he talked bad about my new friends. How should I look at him? Should I be offended about the foulness and the meanness and the hatred he had to people that I know or people that love? Should I be upset that he talked and dragged my Lord's name through the mud and used it in a very foul way? I have encountered the love of God, and I do not look at people the same way the world looks. As best I know, and I'm not perfect about it, but as best I know, I want to be like Paul, and I don't look at people like the world does. I look at them, how the love of God. These two men have never been transformed by the love of God. Should I, should I expect them to act any different if they don't know the Lord? How can they act in a way, a loving, kind way, when they've not met the love of God? I hurt for them. I didn't feel like I had any, he was pretty angry. I didn't feel like I had any opportunity. I'd probably be preaching here with a black eye if I'd have gone out there and talked to him at that point. But it wasn't, I wasn't offended. I was sad for him because he has not known the love of God and he wouldn't talk that way about our Lord if he'd experienced and received the love of God that would have taken him and healed him and restored him and given him a sense of purpose. Paul says, I don't look at anybody the same way now that I've encountered the love of God. I don't judge people like the world does. I look, do they know and are they experiencing, have they come to understand the deep, abiding love of God that transforms and gives us a wholeness and a sense of purpose and puts us on mission to share that love? Well, then he says, here he says, so he says, verse 17 he says, now, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. So everything about you changes. All the old is gone. He says, you're a new creation. And in verse 18 and 19, he says that we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. And in verse 20, he calls us ambassadors. He says, if you've been transformed by this love of God, then you are now an ambassador for Christ. As though what? God, we're pleading through you to share this love. So he says this, I want to pick up one last phrase. He says he's given us this ministry of reconciliation. That's why we're here. That's for the missions conference. Now that's kind of a weird term. I don't, I don't know about you, I don't use that term very often. Reconciliation is kind of, as a dyslexic and struggling, some, some, that's too many syllables for me. <laughs> what does he mean? Reconciliation. I know it's where we grow up in church. But basically, you remember, it, with this, the sin that enters into the world, and, and we get separated, our relationship with, with God gets severed by sin. Through Christ, we have this reconciling. He pays the debt for our sin, so we are united with Him in fellowship with the Father, and we're children of God. We're reconciled to God. Basically, a simple way to put that is anybody who's been transformed by this love of God has the opportunity, gets to join on mission with God, sharing the good news of the gospel. Sharing the good news, the love of Jesus Christ. He says, we've been given that ministry of reconciliation. Everyone here today who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, a follower of Christ, has been given the ministry of reconciliation. They're an ambassador. 
Now, when Paul's describing this, I want you to catch this. He's not doing this because he's being forced to do it. He's not doing it out of a sense of obligation. I promise you, as you start down this this year of missions and supporting financially and with your, with your prayers and with your finances and with your energy and you start going, and you start going this year, many of you would fall to the wayside if we do it on our, on our ability to stick to something, won't we? Life happens. And he's saying, you've been given the ministry of the reconciliation, you're going to be going out on mission, but how do you stay with this? How do you, every one of us have been given this, this ministry we have a church here who's giving you opportunities to serve with them individually and as a church and to join with others and partner with it. How are you going to stick with it? It's not just because it's the right thing to do. It's not just because you have a stirring in your heart this week and you know God's calling you and you step out and do it. That'll be part of it. But how do you stay with it? Is you keep radically, radically tied in to the love of God. And when things are going different and difficult and you wonder how we keep going and you realize, God loved me and it's fresh and I'm, I'm, I'm joining in with John and I'm saying, behold what manner of, of love the Father bestowed on Norm who didn't deserve any of it, who hasn't earned any of it. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on you. Is that driving force of that love that will come in beside you and compel you to go out and stay on mission. It's not a difficult message, is it? Sometimes we make things so complicated. And you look at all that Paul's going through and they say, how do you do it, Paul? Why do you look so weird? Why don't you fit like we we, we think you should look, like all the other disciples and all the other people? Why are you so different, Paul? Because if you think I'm out of my right mind, it's because of God. He loved me. And I've never got over it. And anything he asks me to do when he invites me on mission, I'm joining him because he loved me. Paul, why do you why do you get treated so bad in this city called Philippi and get dragged out and humiliated and, and beaten and thrown into prison? And why are you sinking in there? Because God loved me. Why do you keep going to these synagogues, Paul, and, and sharing this good news with these people that keep running you out of every city? And he says, because God loved me. Why do you come to these people and share and you go to this amazing city of Athens and you, and you go there and all this thing and all their philosophies and all their stuff, why do you go there and, and stand and share and, and get up on Mars Hill and start sharing what you're doing? He says, because God's love compelled me out there to share with these people. Why do you go back to Jerusalem when, we're, when you're warned that you're going to be put in chains and you're going to be dragged off and your life is going to be in danger? God loved me. Why do you toil all night working and putting tents together and fashioning things together and making sure you're working and you go through all this stuff? How do you do it, Paul? God love me. For us this year, what is going to be the motivating factor for how you stay on mission? You have many opportunities to join in. We can go and we need to. We give and we need to be praying and we need to not just one of those things we need to be doing all of them locally regionally and to the uttermost parts of our world but how are we going to be consistent in doing that not perfect in doing it but consistent by keep coming back to the simple thing for god so loved my prayer for you this 
week and then as you go on this year is we've been hearing wonderful things about you. Dana shared we've been hearing wonderful things about you. I'd love to hear that anytime someone brings up Fig Tree Anglican Church, they say there's a group of people that really love God. And there's a people that really love others because of that love. That you're described as a people of love because we serve a God of love. And that love is compelling us out to a hurting world that desperately needs to hear the good news. So there's a wonderful passage, and it's kind of a challenge for us individually. I would, and I would come back to you. Today, if you would have to say you've not experienced that love, and you say, what's Norm talking about there? What does he mean by this love of God? And you can honestly say, well, you know, I don't think I understand that love of God. You're at the right place today. And I ask you not to leave this room before you pull someone aside and say, explain to me how I experienced that transforming love of God. How can I enter into that love relationship? And I promise you, you have people all over the place who'd love to sit down and share with you about the love of God. You're in a great place today. If you're a follower of Christ, let me ask you, how radical has the love of God been impacting you this week, this last month, this last six months, and as you project out this next year, how is the love of God radically impacting you, driving you forward to go and share? Remember, we're not trying to twist your arm for missions. We've all been called to missions. We're just trying to look at what's the motivating factor behind our missions, God's love. So I challenge you to go back and read through this and ask those questions as you go through your week. As you're praying about who to support, as you're praying about what to be a part of, do it in light of God's love. Not out of our best thinking of where we need to, we need to plug in, but put it in the context of God's love. Let me have a word of prayer with you, and I'll turn it back over to your leadership. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you loved us. I pray that we would never, ever take that as a common thing. I pray that we would never make for God so loved a cliche. I pray that you would radically impact us over and over again, that these waves of your love would overflow in our hearts and our minds. I pray that for each of us, as your love compels us, constricts us, and pushes us out into this world, that we wouldn't fight it, but we would embrace it, and we'd thank you that we are loved. I pray that we would be overwhelmed with your love this week, and that we would share that love with anybody we come in contact with. That you would take us and, and put us out in places where we can share that our God loves the good news of Jesus. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.